Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi. I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. I'm here in the tap room with our co-host, Maria Cabre. Hi, Maria. What's up, John? Halloween's on a Tuesday this week. Do you believe in ghosts? Uh, yeah, actually, I do. I have quite a few uh, <laughs> paranormal experiences. Yes, all in the bakery? No, actually. <laughs> I think there's a ghost in, uh, in this building. Oh, it might be. This one's really old. Or a spirit. Ex- an yes. entity. An entity. Yes. yes. Who's our first guest this week? Our first guest is a U.S. Army veteran and the co-founder, co-owner of Hopkinsville Brewing Company in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. She went from supporting her then-husband's dream of opening a brewery, despite not liking beer, to falling in love with the brewery and discovering the magic of craft beer. When the marriage ended, she said, you keep the house, I'll keep the brewery. Since then, she brought on co-owner Joey Medeiros and leaned on her military training to learn how to brew and operate a successful small business, all while raising young children. The brewery has become a pillar in the small Kentucky community it serves and an entry point to the world of craft beer for many. Welcome to the Beer Hour. Kate Russell, thank you very much for joining us today. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. So... As we kind of always do here on the Beer Hour, kind of uh, get a little bit of backstory on those coming on the show before we kind of dive into the nitty-gritty, the good stuff. So did you actually grow up in Kentucky? Oh, no. No. Um, my dad was a DOD, Department of Defense contractor, and we moved all over the country. And um, actually, I grew up living on a boat because after a few years of moving around, my parents figured out that it was cheaper to just keep moving a boat from place to place than... <laughs> Buying and selling houses, which is probably its own story, actually. <laughs> nice. From port to port. Yes. Nice. So, um, yeah. So coming out of college, um, I it was 2003 and the market was tanking as far as jobs go. And I decided it would be a good idea to join the Army. So, oh. um, yeah. Yeah. Graduated college, joined the Army and Fort Campbell, Kentucky was my first and only duty station as it turned out. So actually so. coming out of college going into the army you were already in as an officer then no no i did that's a whole other story oh, oh. <laughs> no no i enlisted. i did it the hard way i enlisted ah ah okay okay so how long were you in the army three years three years so you did your yeah. your service time there yeah and uh yes maria has now Wait. joined us thank you very much maria for joining us today oh thanks <laughs> sorry i had to go to the bathroom oh boy you didn't have to do it on yes <laughs> yes, like yes that. Go ahead. i just wanted to just say hi to hi, uh, kate. kate uh go ahead continue so you obviously did your time there i mean kind of fast forward now you now you're in hops hopkinsville yes did i get that correctly do you mind yeah. describing the town of Hopkinsville to our listeners who may have never been there before? Okay, so we are in western Kentucky. So let's say you're leaving Nashville, driving to St. Louis. Yes. We're about an hour northwest of Nashville. Oh, very um, nice. Population 32,000. Um, and I actually ended up here because Fort Campbell is about 10 miles south. And when I was assigned there, I looked around post. I was looking for a place to live. Um, and I went off post and decided I wanted to live someplace where I could go home at night and pretend I wasn't in the army. So, <laughs> right. Okay. So yeah, I started driving through this cornfield north and found Hopkinsville by accident. And it turned out I really like it here. Nice. So, Very yeah. nice. So as, as I'm reading this, like you actually have a bachelor's degree in psychology from Cornell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy smokes. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, Cornell's a and great... And I in the Army. I still haven't figured that one out. Like, <laughs> I don't know. So I'm were you thinking. training to be a psychologist or... Um, well, I was until my senior year. And one of my professors took me aside and said that he hoped I really wasn't going to pursue this in grad school because I wasn't very good at it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> in retrospect, I'm like, wow. Okay, well, I mean, he was honest at least. Yes, um, yes. Terrible advice, but, but yeah. very honest. <laughs> yeah. So, and now I... I mean, the Army actually worked out well because 
I had to do something other than be in school for a while. So right. learned a lot about myself and the world. Like, you know, saw Iraq. I know I don't want to live there. Right. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so it was, I mean, it's been an interesting life. <laughs> so you've made the rounds then. So, and then you yeah. actually found out where you want to be and that's in Hopkinsville. For the time being, at least until my kids graduate high school. Ah, okay. Okay. So yeah. actually like the story goes that you were married to your ex-husband who also was enlisted in the army. Well, he, no, he was an officer. You, oh, he was an officer. He was an officer. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, my story, like, we need like five more hours to do this. I mean, it's, it's a so, whole long So story. I'm going to go right to, so why did you enlist if you had graduated oh, from college? Because no. listen, it, like back in, like, listen, I, I mean, I almost took the route of joining this, the services as well. But it would have been from the standpoint because my uncle through marriage, his father was a three-star general in the army. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. And, um, we're all finding out new things here here uh, today because I had no idea in the 10 years I've known John that he was thinking of maybe enlisting. Well, but it was always advice from him that go to college like he did and then join because then when you join coming out of college, you are already an officer. Only if you do ROTC. Right, correct, correct, right, which he did in college as well, which I would have done. But right, you go in as an officer. Right. So, no, I did it the hard way. Like like everything else in my life, I'm like, I'll do this, but I'm going to do it the hardest way possible. (laughs) No, so so senior year, um, the professor just told me that I'm terrible at psychology, shouldn't do that. And um, my now ex was actually, he had been prior enlisted got out and decided he wanted to be an officer. So he went back to school. He was a year behind me. Um, And so I knew we were getting married and I knew I didn't want to pursue psychology. I literally had nothing better to do. And so (laughs) it was too late for me to do ROTC. So I'm like, I'm just, I'm going to enlist because why not? Right. Um, So I enlist and with the option of going to officer candidate school down at Fort Benning. So I make it through basic training and I was that weird person that I had the best, like, I loved basic training so much. It was, <laughs> okay. I know, I know. Because I'm, I'm very good at following rules. Right. Like here, these people were telling me, you know, what time I had to be someplace, what I had to wear, you know, what I was going to do. I didn't have to think for nine weeks. It was amazing. Right. What time you're going to bed, what time you're waking up, what you wear, what you eat. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I, I finished basic training, go to Fort Benning and start officer candidate school and fractured my pelvis three weeks into class. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So at that point, um, I was, I'd had a six year contract at that point. Well, once you're not at OCS anymore, um, it kind of reverts to a three year contract and the army tells you what you're going to do. Ooh. So, yeah. So I was, uh, reclassed as a signals intelligence analyst. That's what the army needed at the time. Um, and sent me off to to school in Texas. Oh. And yeah. And so the I had thought about trying to get back to officer candidate school. And about the time I got to Iraq, I looked around, I'm like, you know what? I don't think I want to do this with the rest of my life. Like I totally admire the people that do. Right. Um, but it, it wasn't was, for you. Not at it that was point. Not for, yeah. Yeah. So, so actually so. speaking upon your ex, he was mm-hmm. actually a home brewer and wanted to start a brewery. What were your thoughts uh, on that idea at that time? And were you into craft beer as well? It was the dumbest idea I'd ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) And I did not drink beer. Um, But, you know, being the supportive army wife I was, um, you know, we had moved, I don't know how many times we'd PCS all over the place at that point. And, okay, you know, it's. You know, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but I suppose in retrospect, I've heard dumber ideas like enlisting after college. Right. So actually, I mean, so along the ways you were learning how to brew and you immersed yourself in this new business, but then you went along and earned a graduate certificate in brewing science and operations from Auburn University? Yeah. So at the time... um, all I had was the graduate certificate. So in, you know, here we are, we've, we've just split and I've figured out that, oh, I need to get good at this and I need to do it fast because this is going to be my livelihood. Right. So found out that Auburn had this program that was the majority of it was distance learning. I could handle that. Um, and so I earned my graduate certificate that was 20 started in summer of 2017. So now we're in 
the summer of 2018, I graduate. And I'm like, yay, I make good beer now. Um, and at that point, it was really cool. One of the classes that I had to take was a business class, which go figure, hadn't done that before. Um, and, <laughs> right. and so the original assignment that the professor had had every other student do was build a brewery on paper. Oh well, I've already got a brewery. Right, exactly. Like, so, yeah, so I asked him if I could build an expansion plan. You know, like at this point, we've been in business a couple of years. It's going okay. I'd like to expand. So he approved of the project and I put together this business plan for an expansion and it wasn't a terrible plan. So um, nice. after I graduated, I took that plan to the bank and I'm like, hey, may I please have some money? Look, I have a business plan and everything now. <laughs> and um, so we bought the building next door and expanded into that. So went along the lines, obviously, because <clears throat> going back a few questions, obviously the mm -hmm. idea initially was not the hottest topic for you that you but you kind of went along with it. When along those lines, do you think you really bought in and said, this is something I really want to do for a long, long period of time? Um, that's a really good question. I think. Was it more because of survival and this is what you needed as a job and you grew to love that? No, it was before that because if I didn't love it, I wouldn't have right. asked for it right. when we split. So it was... <laughs> that's, that's true. True. Very well, true. I mean, it's that is, man, I've done a lot of interviews and that's the first time anyone's ever asked me that question. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't have an answer. I, I'm horrible. I'm sorry. No, you're not. No, I, I mean, this is a, an amazing, you know, interview. Just, I mean, all the, the path that you've gone through through life and then to stick with the brewery and come out on the other end as well as you have, you know what I mean? And starting thinking, well, hey, this may not be the greatest idea in the world, idea in the world, but then later on be like, you know what, this is something I can really get behind and do. You know what I mean? I think, so the interesting thing about Hopkinsville is you can see where it used to be an amazing town. Right. Like we used to have an amazing downtown. Um, I live about a mile south of downtown and my house is 100 years old and the neighborhood is very much like leave it to beaver type neighborhood. <laughs> okay. um, right. And, yeah, we still have sidewalks and like all the houses are the same age. And right. um, Hopkinsville, I think as we worked on the building and as we put this business into it and then seeing the response on social media grow, that people were very excited to have this locally made product in downtown. Um, I liked that it inspired people right. and made people look at Hopkinsville differently. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, so I think that's kind of what did it. So when along the lines did Joey Medeiros enter, and who is Joey, and how did he end up becoming your business partner? Joey is the best human being ever, is what nice. Joey is. Nice. Okay. <laughs> um, no, so actually, and this is really interesting, so he and the now ex deployed together years ago. Oh, okay. Um, and he was a few years ahead of the ex in terms of his career path. And he had been homebrewing for years and years and years. And so when he retired, I think that was 2015 now, right. um, he immediately went off to South college in Knoxville to get his certificate in brewing. Oh. And his goal was to come back to Clarksville in Tennessee on the other side of the state line from us and open a brewery there. And um, so he was midway through his certificate when he walked in one day and asked if he could intern. And at that point, so yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Um, so the ex was at flight school at this point, And here was this person who had school training and supposedly knew what they were doing. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, I can definitely you can you can help me this. This is great plan. So um, as time went on, we worked really well together. And he was still talking this whole time about going to Clarksville, he never hid that he was going to open a brewery and for all intents and purposes, be competition. Right. Um, and, you know, but that's like 30 minutes down the road. It was going to be okay, right? Well, then the divorce happened, and I realized very quickly that as much as I love this, it and I'm sure you know this, it can consume your life. Oh, 1,000%. Yeah. Like nights, weekends, doesn't matter. I, I, have, I have three kids, so yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. So doing this as a single parent is brutal. Yep. And... Um, and I wanted to be there for my kids and be able to just be present for them. Um, and so I knew I couldn't do this by myself and do it well. 
And so here is this person that we've been working together and I know he knows what he's doing. He's going to go off and be my competition. And now that sounds terrible. <laughs> so right. I, yeah. So I asked him, um, I'm like, Hey, since we've been doing this already, you've invested a lot of time and effort and energy into my brewery. Would you like to buy 49% of it? And you know, having learned, you don't split 50, 50 after, never, after a divorce. never, never, <laughs> never, 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 <laughs> never. No. Yeah, no. Um, no. So he, that was, that was good for him. And we've been partners ever since. Awesome. So yeah. do you mind telling us a little bit about the, how, how big is the brewery that you have? So right when now? we opened, it was a two and a half barrel system. Okay. Um, so, you know, for everyone that doesn't own a brewery, that's about 85 gallons every time we brew. Right. Um, and about the same time every summer, we realized we would be running out of beer. We could not brew fast enough. We only had four fermenters. This was not sustainable. Um, so once we expanded into the building next door, we had room to upgrade. So, and gosh, what, what year is it? 2023. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. The last few years have been very wonky. As yes. Far as yeah, time. absolutely. I, I would. Kind of yes, I agree. <laughs> yes. So, um, so two years ago, we ordered um, a five barrel system, nice. a five barrel brew house and um, five, five barrel fermenters. And we kept two of the two and a half barrel fermenters so I can split batches and experiment. Oh, so, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So how much how much volume are you guys doing currently annually right now, do you think? Annually, um, probably about 500 barrels. Like, I'm definitely not maxing out the system. But we only got self-distribution last year, two years oh. ago. So okay. we're still I'm, – I'm still pacing myself. That's not a bad plan. That's not a bad plan. I mean, I think we've kind of come out of the day and age of just trying to produce as much beer as possible and grow at such a rapid rate. I mean, I think those are – years are behind us now it's about brewing consistently and at a comfortable pace that you are comfortable with you know what i mean oh definitely yeah yeah it used to be anyone could have a brewery now i mean in clarksville i think they've lost three in the past yeah. two years oh no i mean it's it's happening here i mean they're going out of business yeah. here too so i mean it's it's the writing's on the wall if you aren't running it properly and doing it the right way i mean yeah. what styles of beers do you guys focus on brewing all of the above. <laughs> yeah, that's always a, a hard question to answer. And D. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I I compare brewing to cooking. You know, you don't want to you don't want to make the same meal every day of the week, right? Right. Um, and so I love seasonals. I love using local fruits and vegetables whenever possible. We do live in a rural area with lots of agriculture. So um, you know, through the summer we specialize in fruit and vegetable beers. Um, right now I've been on a lager kick, so pretty much everything's a lager right now. I don't know. That's just been the mood that I'm in. Um, since we are in bourbon country, we get a lot of barrels. So oh, I like very nice. the barrel age things. Nice. Um, Joey's been on a Belgian kick. So we have a Belgian pale ale. He did a blonde and we've got another, we've got a quad coming up pretty soon. I don't know. We go through, we always have to have an IPA though. What kind like, of, what kind of vegetables are you using? <laughs> oh gosh. So I've done pumpkin, of course. Who of course. hasn't done pumpkin? Yep. Um, what have we done? Now you put me on the spot. I'm thinking and again, because now I'm like, we do a lot of watermelon. Well, in the summer, we do a watermelon mint wit that for some Ooh. reason is like the best beer anyone here has ever yeah. had. Um, yeah. What vegetables have we done? I'm so, only, I'm only pumpkin, pumpkin would be the probably a big one. I mean, and watermelon. We've done, definite. We've done squashes. I've done a, a few squashes. Really? Yeah. That's, that's I mean, it's pretty much huh? like beets. Okay. Oh, it's yeah, much beets. Like yeah, people have used beets. We've used beets. Oh, we've so, used beets. So, that's right. So the problem I've had with beets is we've had allergic, or we've had customers who are allergic to them. Really? Oh. And yeah. Yeah. So um, this one guy, he came in and, and had a couple beers, loved them, but noticed that the more he drank, he was having this weird, go figure, anaphylactic shock. Oh, <laughs> my wow. God. Yeah. Yeah. So come to find out he was highly allergic to beets. So we've been really careful with beets and beet sugar since then. Really? Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of the Belgian-style beers actually use beet sugar. Mm-hmm. Yep. What would be like the, you know, clear candy syrups yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. The they candy. Originally, that was beet sugar that they would use to fortify the right. beers to get the alcohol level that you're looking for. Right. So that's very interesting. That is awesome. Yeah, they're not in the hard way. Yeah. Don't kill your customers. <laughs> yeah, right. 
I mean, we always have to watch out for like putting any kind of nuts into beers, and it's always like that yeah. or uh, lactose. Lactose, yeah. That's the other big one. Yep. You know, people always ask, "Hey, does this have lactose in it, or are there nuts in it?" So the, the beets is a new one. That's interesting that we haven't made a beet beer in, in years, and it's yeah. been a while. So putting a brewery where you were located located in Hopkinsville. I mean, was there a process of educating the community about craft beer? Very much so. Um, For the first two years, probably the most common question I got was, um, I only drink Nick Ultra. What do you have that I would like? (laughs) But that's a a great question because that means people are willing to try it and learn. Yep. So it was... And, and then it was funny because, you know, here we've been in business for almost eight years now. And Joey had a, an incident uh, experience in the, a few months ago where a woman came in. He was working the counter and she very authoritatively ordered a Bud Light. And she was so like, hey, I'd like a Bud Light. Joey had to turn around and look at the menu to make sure someone hadn't put it up there just as a joke. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so the first and it wasn't just beer that we had to educate people on. Um, when we first opened, we ran a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, and people here had never seen that before. I know it, you know, back in the day, that's how a lot of breweries got started. Yep. Um, but in Western Kentucky, this was not a thing. You can include so, me in that. That's how we started. Yeah. Yep. And it's hard work. work. Yep. Holy moly. Yep. It so, sure is. Yeah. So a lot of it. And then there's also the component of teaching people that just because it's alcohol doesn't mean that it's a bar. Right. And, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to show people, for instance, like when I thought of how I wanted the brewery to look, my my mental image was Starbucks, but with beer. So comfortable, welcoming, a place that as a woman, I didn't mind coming by myself right. um, and family friendly because we do tours and, and I want my kids to be able to hang out there too, although they don't do that so much anymore. Apparently it's not cool if it's your mom doing <laughs> I don't no, know. no, 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 it's the same. Depends I, same on the thing, age, I guess. Right? Yeah, it's the same thing. Now, you know, all mine are teenagers so it's like yeah they don't really want to come hang out with dad at work i know but do their parents or do their kids uh, do their friends think you're cool because my, my kids friends think i'm amazing some do some do they're like oh your dad makes beer that's awesome <laughs> I mean. and my kids are like eh, eh. exactly that, that's the readout i get <laughs> yeah so so actually a, a few years ago you were chosen to become the eighth ever winner of the Samuel Adams Brewing, the American Dream Brewing Experience Program. Can you tell us what that is and why was it such an honor for you and how has it impacted your brewery? That was, I applied the last day of the application period. I didn't even know it was a thing until I happened to be on the computer that morning and saw a link on Facebook and clicked it. And I think one of the questions was, tell us your story. I'm like, Okay, <laughs> I'll tell you my story. <laughs> um, and so then a couple of months, like totally forgot about it. Got the kids off to school, went to work, totally forgot about it. And then probably, I don't know, a month later, I uh, got a phone call during the worst brew day we've had in years. And this woman starts talking to me about, you know, yada, yada, Sam Adams, yada, yada. And it took me a few minutes to think, to figure out what she was talking about. And it man, I don't even know how to explain how amazing this program is. If you are a brewer, you should apply because they they just go above and beyond for the people that win this experience ship, which, um, how to put it? So for an entire year, you have access to anything at Sam Adams in terms of, you know, if you have a question about brew houses, if you have a question about marketing or I mean, and this was while we were expanding, this happened. So it was amazing that anytime I had a question about, you know, hey, what size panel should I install if I'm looking to run an electric boiler? And, you know, what brew house should I be looking at? What companies work? You know, um, pretty much, I I can't even tell you, they are their own little beer making world. So if you win their experience ship, you have access to all that information. If you have a question, they will find someone in the company that can answer it for you. Wow. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. So that alone is worth its weight in gold. But then it culminates in going to Boston to brew a collaboration beer with them. And Oh, wow. Yeah, I know, right? So as a brewer, just getting to go to Boston and brew on their system, I mean, it's like the best thing ever, right? That's awesome. It's just, it's, it's a really neat, and everyone is so nice. And 
you know, getting, getting to sit down with Jim Cook and actually be able to ask him all these questions. And it's just, it's a neat program. Highly recommend that everyone apply. It's awesome. Everybody out there that's listening, that is thinking or about, about opening a brewery or already has one apply. Yes. <laughs> Please apply. apply. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so I, I have one final question for you. So a big part of your story is that you were able to accomplish so much, overcoming so many obstacles and doing so while raising two kids. Do you have any words of wisdom for the single moms listening now who struggle to balance work and home? Mm. I think I could, I've actually thought about this a lot. Um, my business is probably not as good as it could be because I always put my kids first and I stand by, I will stand by that until the day I die. Um, the, the time with my kids is finite. My son's, you know, already committed to where he's going to school next year. And, you know, so I will, yeah, I could probably be doing like, I don't know, a million dollar business, but at the end of the day, I will still close the tap room if I have to beat my son's baseball game. That's how this goes. Yep. No, so, I hear you. Family first. Uh, Kids yeah. first, absolutely. Yeah, you don't get this time back. No, so. no, no. My oldest is a year and a half away from going to college, so I absolutely understand that. You know, it and goes then, so fast. Senior year, dude, it's blowing my mind. Yeah, and then they're gone. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, thank you very much for joining us. This has been a pleasure. It's a very interesting and, and inspiring story that you have. So it's very I, refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, because you talk to a lot of the people, you know, it's just, I mean, the same, same upstart, same old thing. You know what I mean? And it's good to hear a different perspective of someone that started your route and ended up where you're at now. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll have to uh, get with Maria. I mean, we got Wakefest coming up. We'll have to get you guys involved and see if we can get you guys come down here. I mean, it's... I would love that so much. A little bit hotter down here than Kentucky, but... You know, it's February. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Kate. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, have a good day. You too. Bye. You're listening to the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guests are the creators and hosts of Paranormal Reality TV, which are live, unscripted TV quality paranormal investigations. Tens of thousands of viewers watch their live streams as our guests use both conventional and not so conventional methods to verify claims of haunted houses and even offices. Welcome to the Beer Hour, JV Johnson and Britt Griffith. Thank you very much for joining us today. It is a pleasure to have both of you on the show. Great to be here. Love it. Yes, yes, and it's actually great to have you both on for our Halloween episode this year. So it's uh, kind of our great lead-in. Um, we always try to highlight something very horror or or Halloween-specific each type. You know, every, every time we come around to this show every year, and it's great to have you guys on. So I guess we should really ask each of you really what a basic definition of paranormal is, just for clarification. Well, I guess that's probably the hardest question to answer because the real definition of paranormal is we don't know what it is. It's beyond ah, anything we can really okay. explain. Right. Not normal. Not yes. normal. Not not uh, you know not scientific in in its uh, ability to be explained. Um, but for me, it's really um, you know obviously there's a lot of sub genres of the paranormal. There's you know there's the cryptid thing where you've got Bigfoot. There's the alien stuff. There's uh, you know, there's all these other various components that make up the total paranormal universe. Britt and I focus primarily, but not exclusively, on the ghost part of it, the spirit, right. the spirit. afterlife. The afterlife. And I think, yeah, and I think everybody has this burning desire to understand what happens to us when, you know, we close our eyes for the final time. Right. What, what What's next? Uh, some people answer that with religion, and I, I am a somewhat religious person. But um, I want more answers than religion provides me. Right. So this whole search for ghosts is really search for search for the answer of what happens after we die. That's a right. big part of it. Yes, I, I would agree with that. Absolutely. 
So, I mean, Britt, you were kind of alluding to it, and obviously you've mentioned a couple times so far in the conversation that you were on Ghost Hunters, I mean, formerly on the Sci-Fi Channel. What was that show about, and what was your role on the show when you were on the show? The show was about making Craig Pelligian money, the owner of Pilgrim Films, <laughs> and the network. I mean, that's what TV's about. It's right. about selling shit. So right, yeah. I mean, that's what the show was about. However, the team Taps was around long before, and Jay and Grant had done some stuff on MTV, like Fear Factor, consulting type stuff. Right. Um, but again, it, it boils back to there are people that, li- that they have issues going on in their home, and they think they're going crazy. This is how kind of how it, before it became a TV show. This is what it was like for us as a group, and it's kind of what Taps was formed as. It was just to help people understand what's going on. Now, before the show was on, you could debunk about ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the claims. It's right. just something natural going on in the environment. So we would literally have people look at us on their driveway and go, "Depending on what you tell us, is whether we sell this house or not." Right. So people are going to make a major life financial decision off something we do as a hobby. So we had to be really careful about what we did. But bottom line is, this is what I found out. We would go into a place. People would say, hey, X, Y, and Z is happening. We would go in, and we would debunk X, Y, and Z, and it's all normal stuff. And we would tell them, and you could just see the relief over their face. Okay, I'm not crazy. It's actually happening, and it's normal. Or we would go into a place. they say, A, B, and C is happening, and we would go in. Holy shit, A, B, and C is happening. And we would tell the people and show them the evidence. Same, same reaction. The relief comes over their face. Okay, I'm not crazy. This is actually happening. And most of the time, then they were fine with it. <laughs> I think what it is is that people just thought they were going crazy, and they didn't right. know. Right. And then the show came on, so now it's a whole different animal. But um, for me and and for most – I think most teams, it's just about helping people understand what's going on in their home and also riding that 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 fun light and getting that thrill. I mean, I mean, come on. Let's, let's be honest. If I can have that sit-down conversation with Jesus, I got a lot of fucking questions, and I'm going to ask I them. I hear you. I hear and you. And that's what I'm looking for. You know, is there a reason to be good in this life? Is there an afterlife? Is there is there a judgment at the pearly gates? Is there – or, or or do you get suspended is, here till the rapture? <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I just want I just want to. So I have questions. Also, he was a carpenter, so I have some wood tricks I need to ask him about. <laughs> so, so you obviously you guys worked together before, but whose idea was it to really do this paranormal reality TV? Was it UJV? Well, I think I think it probably was a. a, a- combination of a whole bunch of things Britt and i had done a couple of other live stream shows on various topics we did one called booze b-o-o-s booze <laughs> as in beer and bros right. and it was right. just a, you know a bunch of guys he and i and a couple other guys uh getting together on a friday night having a few beers and just doing whatever we 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 play oh, trivia games you beers we, you're being kind we got ribs <laughs> i know we would, we would we would because we allowed our our audience to actually accumulate points and spend those points on making us do shit that's dangerous we learned that very quickly but anyway so we'd done a few of these various programs and we both have obviously a long history in the paranormal and uh and and we we were doing we were actually doing a political show for a while we had to step away from that and then we're like you know what i I, one day i was talking with a psychic friend of mine and and i said she wanted to 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 film a pilot for some for a cable network but the bottom line here uh jonathan is that cable is dead yeah dead dead. you know people people still watch a few things here and there but it's the business model is dead just like radio as a guy who's been in in terrestrial radio for 40 years right maybe even longer now but whatever it's been um that business model is just dead it just does not work in the new world right in the 21st century and right. cables going the same way so i said to this psychic friend of mine i said forget cable right what we need to do and brit and i have a lot of experience doing this is live stream paranormal investigations with a tv quality production value right and that's what we're doing with paranormal reality tv nice so what is the basic concept behind the show? To make me look stupid, apparently. Great, <laughs> <laughs> well, you bring that on yourself. I'm just uh, going to say uh, that up, up, up front. No, we, we have fun. I mean, one of the things we do in addition to actually uh, significant and serious paranormal investigating is we have fun. We joke. Yeah. We, we, we can't take ourselves too seriously. I think the minute we start doing that, it, it becomes a real job. And I don't think anybody wants to work at a real job uh, unless you absolutely have to. I think at this point, we want to enjoy what we're doing. So the the point of the show is to present what people have been watching on cable 
for a, since 2000. What was the first year ago? Four. four. Since wow. 2004. But do it in a in a sincere, honest, direct, raw presentation. Live. And sometimes that's boring. Right. But when it's boring is when we start to add some of the comedic elements. Nice. Uh, but nice. so far, it hasn't. We've we've caught a lot of stuff, and it's been live. And then the key to the whole thing for us is that our viewers can help guide the investigation through their chat comments. So it's more. It's very interactive. It is yes. completely it's interactive. interactive. So I mean, that, fact, that's game changing. That. Yeah, pe- I people mean, people love that. People love to be they interactive. Be yeah, yeah, they want to be experience. part of the show instead of yeah. just watching it going, "Oh, they should have done this." Yeah, 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 yeah. Now you can go, "Hey, well, check this out." You know? Oh, and and, and they do, they do. And yeah, then and if we the, miss it, they let us know. Yeah, and one of the things <laughs> right. that people don't realize because you don't even think about it when you're watching one of these shows is that you know you're watching it through a camera that can see because of the infrared light. Right. The the investigators that are in that room can't see anything. It's almost pitch black. black. So if if a candlestick moves, you know, not a lit candlestick, but, you know, if it moves across the table, unless we hear it in that dark room, we probably don't see it. But the people watching with the benefit of the IR light can actually see it. So our chat room will say, hey, check out that book. It just the page just turned or or whatever. And it helps guide us through the investigation. So I, I got a question, like dealing with this, when you have infrared cameras on, if there is an actual entity or spirit in the room, it's lighting it up as not in a heat signature, but what more in a, as in a cold? Well, heat is energy. And right. for, so for whatever reason, when whatever happens on the other side, they start harnessing energy. They'll take the heat out of the air. They'll drain batteries. They'll get it from wherever they can. Right. And then when they do whatever they're going to do, leave an EVP, activate a REM pod, there's an absent. They took that energy, so it just becomes cold. It leaves uh. a little cold spot. That's what. And again, everything we're doing, I mean, basically, we're just home inspectors. We're looking for the EMF field to go into flux, which is the EMF field is normally very steady. Right. You know, uh, we have barometric pressure devices. The barometric pressure is very steady. I mean, unless you have a tornado going over your house, which right. God, I hope you would you would hear that <laughs> yes. type of thing. But, you know, the, the temperature is normally very steady unless an air conditioner kicks on. Right. So hopefully you're paying attention to that. So we're, we're, we're just monitoring the environment, and then we're looking – for fluctuations. And for whatever reason, when something goes into flux, it means stuff's starting to happen. Right. Um, there's actually a ghost hunter show you can actually watch. It's the old Goldfield, it's the Goldfield Hotel episode. Chris Williams and I were in room 109. And I'm a, a gadget geek. Like, I'll put out, like, 75 pieces of equipment if I can to monitor the environment. But there was a bunch of K2s and a bunch of recording devices in this room. And the one K2 and one recorder in the middle of the room, the K2 lights off. And I, I, I noted on camera, I go, oh, the K2 just lit off. All the EVPs we got were surrounding that one K2 that lit off and only on that one recorder out of six other recorders that were in that room. So we use the equipment to get us to focus on an area when something's going into flux because right. that's not normal. Right. That's Does that make awesome. sense? Yeah, absolutely. How do, you, hope. Like, how do you guys find these haunted venues? Well, it, that's one of the reasons we bring other teams in. I mean, uh, we obviously know of a lot of places, but one of the things that we're trying to do is not to go to the same places that everybody else has already gone to. Um, People want to see some new things. So um, we connected and Britt mentioned the ghost sisters. They're a great team out of Marion, Ohio. It's three sisters and uh, they are so passionate about the paranormal and they have connected us with what now half dozen different places, Britt. Yeah. They're amazing. That's all. He's amazing. That's all. Well, they're all amazing, but. They are, and we used to uh, worked with another team, collaborated with a group called uh, Danger Zone Paranormal in New Jersey, and they connect us connected us with a bunch of places. So it's really about reaching out to other teams that have some experience in some lesser known places, and collaborating with them, bringing our expertise and our equipment on location. Yeah. They get to be part of the show at that time, and uh, they're happy to bring us to these new places. That's how we found them most of the time. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. So, okay, let, let's kind of get into this. I, I mean, I guess, you know, as we've talked, I mean, and, and we know that the people of the world break into kind of three categories. Those who believe in ghosts, those that don't, and those that kind of run the middle and kind of are not sure in a yes or a no. I mean, over your careers, I mean, you've investigated dozens of haunted houses, hotels, buildings. Hundreds. <laughs> hundreds. Let's go Hundreds. What is your best argument to the skeptics that ghosts do indeed exist and are among us? 
Well, my favorite story to tell, and I'll let Brett really, Britt really handle the meat of that question, but my favorite story to tell is that at every event we do, or even just around a, a dinner a conversation with friends, someone, when they know what you're doing, they'll say, I, I don't believe in any of that stuff. But let me tell you what happened when I was. Yeah. Yeah. And let me tell a you a ghost story that, 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 they, that occurred to them. And, you know, I kind of laugh and I say, well, there you go. Uh, you can choose to believe it or not, but you just told me that you actually do believe, even though they say you don't believe. So a lot of people are just in denial about it. Now, again, Britt Brit pointed out, until that apparition of grandma walks up to me and says, hi, <laughs> JV, I'm here. I'm, I've been dead for the, so many years. I'm right. on the other side. This is what it's like. Until that happens, I really don't know what we're dealing with. Right. But what I do know is I've been in rooms where things have happened that I can't explain. Right. And it's it's mysterious enough that I want to keep trying to find the answer. So that's where I am on it. And Britt, I don't know. I mean, you've you've dealt with a lot of skeptics too, and you're a skeptic. We're both skeptics. But yeah. uh, you know, Britt has other stories related to this. Well, too. I mean, I mean, because you've also debunked a bunch of stuff. Oh yeah. So I mean most of the stuff. So I mean, but do you have like a found like a foundation to say that the, you know, ghosts really are here. I have, there are five, there, it's four, there are four or five possible explanations for what we're dealing with. Now, when someone comes up, cause ah, I don't believe it. Just like JV said, then they go right into a ghost story right. and it makes me laugh in my head. And I go, okay, great. Uh, I also tell them, all paranormal means is not normal. What we're dealing with is not normal. I have experienced stuff I can't explain. But there are possible – I mean, it's possibly it's a ghost, grandma, Uncle Fred, somebody from your past screwing with you. It could also be aliens observing us. True. You know, True. the moon The moon is a the moon is a observational platform. There's a reason <laughs> yes. why we didn't go back if we ever went. Exactly. The, Never the been beginning. to the dark side of the moon. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, people don't go there. Yep. Um, so it could be aliens just observing us. And I don't know about, I don't know about you, but John, John, but if – I mean, did you have ant little ant farms when you were a kid growing of course. up? Yes, absolutely. I had a bunch of them, and as soon as they would get done building all their stuff, the first thing I would do is I tap on the glass to screw with them. Yes. So you know, what if it's a Vulcan that has a sense of humor and it's screwing <laughs> with us? You know. Yeah. I mean, so it could be aliens observing us. It could be you know that that whole interdimensional multi multi. Uh, oh shit! Help me, JV. Words are my second language, John. Yeah, so time I, I, slips or uh, time multi, slips in yeah. multiple universes or multiple of, and yeah and multiversal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever been walking through your living room and you trip for, or just in general, and you just trip for no reason? You look back, what the hell did I just trip over? Yes. Yep. Well, what if the what if the time continue kind of folded over and you tripped over someone's table in a different dimension and you kicked it across the room? So they're freaking out because they think a ghost kicked it, but really it was just a fold and you tripped for no reason. But you kick. So yeah, there's there's things that it can be. Absolutely. Until one of, until one of us successfully dies and comes back with that book for the recently departed, <laughs> we really don't know what the hell we're dealing with. It, it's all a crapshoot. All I know uh, is I've experienced shit I can't explain. Right. And if you don't want to believe, you don't have to believe. Right. So can you each give me at least one instance or when you were on a paranormal investigation that really freaked, freaked you, you out? Freaked yeah. you the fuck out. Not yeah. just freaked you out. Freaked yeah. you the fuck out. <laughs> well, I'll, I'm going to give you a story. But before I give you my personal story, I just have to say the last investigation we did was at a oh place called Eura Shrine in Bristol, Tennessee. And Britt and I are still going through our footage and our evidence. And there were instances during that investigation where the hair was standing up, not just on my neck, but my back, my arms, my ass, the yeah. hair, every hair on my body was standing up from some of the he stuff. He has a lot of hair. <laughs> some of the stuff that was going on wow. at that at that place. But I'm going to I'm going to share a different story. And by the way, th those uh, those uh, investigations are still available on our YouTube nice. channel nice. Um, I'm and, Facebook. Get, and Facebook. I'm going to give you uh, this, this the story that still impacts me because it was one of my first very, very significant encounters. I was at a place called Rolling Hills Asylum, which was featured oh on God. not just ghost hunters, but a bunch of different shows have yeah. been there. Any asylum. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was at a, an event with uh, the ghost. hunter. I'm not, Brett, I don't remember if you were there or not for this one. I think you were maybe, maybe. I don't remember. We'll see what happens. Anyway, bottom line is I was in this room by myself. It was called the Christmas room. They had it decorated like Christmas because there was a lot of sightings of children sized shadows and things in this particular area. Sitting there by myself, there was a little bit of light streaming down the hallway, so I kind of come in under the crack of the door so I could see just a little bit. Suddenly, I'm sitting there, and I get this cold chill, and I look over, and there's a, a shadow uh, about the size of, I would probably say, a five-year-old boy, and it's standing in the doorway, just standing there. 
Oh my God. Which is just ominous by itself. Yes. You know, when they're, when they're moving around and stuff, it's a little less freaky, but when they're just standing, looking, seemingly looking in your direction, it's freaky. And then, it, then as I'm sitting there, it starts walking toward me and it stops right at my knees, basically. Damn. And just look and it, and it, the tension was building and the energy was building to the point where I don't get scared. I do get startled. I don't get scared, but I felt so uncomfortable. I had to get up and leave the room and I did. Wow. Um, and that was the experience that at the time was the most significant thing that from a paranormal perspective had happened in my life. Wow. And I remember it as though it was yesterday. And, um, it's, it's one of the things that, that fuels me to keep doing this. That's, that's but, but, crazy. But also remember, JB, when we were all in the hall, because this is an event we were at, we were in this big, long hallway asylum up on one of the crazy wards. And there's like not, it was JB and I, and there was like nine, nine participants with us. And we watched that shadow thing crawl up yeah. the wall and then on the ceiling towards us, like some weird freaking skinwalker freaking wow. thing out of. Remember the movie The Thing by John Carpenter yes, and how the head it. popped off yes, and the legs? Yeah. It was something like that. It was the craziest damn thing I've ever seen in my life. Or one of the craziest. Yeah. At the same at the same place. Asylum. Yeah. And we all saw it. Weekend. Yeah. It was like 10 of us that saw it. That's the crazy part. Normally, it's one person telling the story. and You're like, yeah, right. But all of us saw it. That's what made it so profound to me. And then it just disappeared. It just evaporated. That's crazy. So, um. In this all, like yesterday, you, you guys actually posted that the last four episodes of Paranormal TV were watched by over a million people. And since we're on the business radio, I do have to ask, how do you go about monetizing a show like this? Well, still trying to uh, figure that out. Yeah, I was just saying, we're looking for suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're taking suggestions. Whoops. Um, here, here's, here's the thing. We've all heard stories of people that are streaming uh, and that are making millions, millions of dollars. dollars. My, right, yeah, my right. son is a, is a gamer. He went down the path for a while of doing a live game stream, and he's got you know half a dozen guys that, that are his heroes that uh, are all making millions of dollars yep. and driving Lamborghinis and yep. throwing uh, big parties at the electronic gaming co- uh, conventions, whatever. Um, not everybody gets there, and I'm not sure we're going to get there. But we, given what we're doing, we've got two sources of funding, maybe three. One is whatever ad revenue we can generate from the platforms that we're on, which is very minimal. Right. Um, the second is whatever T-shirts and coffee mugs we can sell. Uh, <laughs> Merchandise, absolutely. Wanna, yeah, yes. because yeah. people want to wear our logo or, or drink a coffee mug with our logo. That's kind of minimal at this point. Hopefully that continues to grow. But the real significant way we can monetize this and we have and we're, and we're doing it slowly um, is through direct support from viewers. That would be nice. subscriptions. Nice. It would be things like super chats or stars, super chats on YouTube, stars on Facebook, you know, those those tipping mechanisms that they have in those platforms. Nice. And uh, it's ramping up for us. It's not coming close to covering the costs of what we're no, doing. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but because we enjoy it, you know, we're still reaching into our pockets and hoping for the day that the support starts to outweigh the expense. And, uh, and it, we can either do it more frequently or have less of a, a – flat coming from our significant others because right. we're spending all the money <laughs> right yeah. i got you right I got but you. the reality is it's a grind and we've only been doing this for i think we're what six months now seven months or something yeah, like that legitimately since june so right. what, what were we we're in october so four months five months four almost. months i mean four months the first couple months was we were just figuring things out because it was a, a bit of a learning curve but it's a grind and if you look at some of the uh, some of the other one, the kids that are the, I call them kids because everybody younger than me is a kid, um, which seems to be everybody nowadays. Um, you know, like like Sam and Colby, they have like four million subscribers. Their videos get six, seven, eight million views, and they're making like a million, a little over a million dollars a month doing. Wow. And they're just doing ghosty stuff, but all of their stuff is edited. If you look at all the ones that right. are, they're all edited, it's, it's not, not live. People footage. want live. Yeah. They want to yeah. they want to see it live happen. So, but it, it seems like. You know how the snowball starts small, and the, so it's rolling slower, but it goes yeah. fat and it starts getting bigger, and then it yeah. becomes a, a, a this thing that wipes out your house type of thing? Um, that's what we're hoping <laughs> yeah. for, and I think we're on that tra- trajectory. But JV and I's problem is I live in L.A., he lives in New York, and it's expensive. Yep. And so we can only do it once a month. But, uh, I mean, if, 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 if I was smart with my money when I had all that money coming in from being on Ghost Hunters and invested properly like JV did, I could be retired too, but I was an idiot and partied like a rock star. Um <laughs> We could literally just be doing this every weekend, traveling right. around. Yeah. But because I have to, I have to swing the hammer during the day. Um, you know, I have to come home and work. Well, I also have kids too, but I take half my kids with me. 
There you so go. That doesn't really. There you go. You know, Not so, a bad thing. But it's just, it's just a grind. Like everything else in life, it's a grind until it pops. Yep. And it's either going to pop really good or it's going to pop okay. really bad. Yep. And this one hasn't really declared itself yet. Well, hopefully it's on the right path then for the good pop. I hope it's in, so. it's in its infancy. Yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, do, I do have one last question for the, each of you. And we are on the Halloween episode. So we obviously have to ask. Ooh. <laughs> no. What is your favorite paranormal related movie of all time that's easy for me um most people would jump to the paranormal activity movies those aren't mine there's a film called um grave encounters and uh it it was kind of an indie film it's had some mild success but it uh it follows a ghost hunters type team into an asylum to do a show and uh it, it goes it goes bad from there and um we actually showed that film at one of our events as a, a sneak peek preview before it was released and that's where i watched it the first time and it's become my favorite paranormal horror film nice uh it's called grave encounters the second one was horrible they came back with a sequel it was horrible terrible but that first one the original one because it was so true to what our group had been doing with ghost hunters in our in our events and investigations that it really hit home nice nice and Britt, um i go back to the entity which is late 70s, right, JV? Early 80s? I think it's 78, 79. 78, 78, 79. It was the first uh, kind of paranormal-esque show I ever saw, and it scared the bejesus out of me, um, probably because I was 11 at that time. Um, But uh, that's the one I always go back to. Uh, So if I had to pick one, it's kind of indie-esque. Also, it wasn't, you know, top billing, but it was amazing. And it was actually based on a true story, which is the other cool thing about it. It was called The Entity. Nice. And, uh, yeah. Gave me nightmares for months. Also, so did Alien. Oh, yeah. Know. That was a great movie, though. That was a great yeah, movie. Awesome. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I saw that when I was 11 and drunk because my cousins <laughs> got me drunk and then took me to see that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I slept for a week. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome, man. Well, I want to thank both of you for taking time out of your day to come on the show. It has been a pleasure to have you on, and this is a, this is a great episode for Halloween. So Awesome. Yeah, Jonathan, hey. thanks for having us on. I'll just remind folks you can check us out on YouTube, uh, yes, Facebook, please. or our website, Paranormal Reality TV is the easiest thing to find. Make sure you go and on Jonathan, there and check them out. Yes. If you're ever out in LA, come on out. I'll let you ride my mower around the dirt track. <laughs> I'm going to take you up on that offer. No, I, can we hit me go, can we go I, to hey, paranormal listen. stuff? Don't take them on a lawnmower. No, uh, take no, us hey. to paranormal stuff. Ah, oh, you want to go to the Queen Mary? No, well, I can take you guys to the boat more, and maybe you can have the encounters that I've had. Yes. Which yeah. I'd love to do but that. What if, we, what if we find a haunted track to go to? There we go. That I mean, would be amazing. Cool. That would be amazing. But hey, you know what? When we come down through, when we come down into lower Florida, I mean, if we're doing something, you're more than welcome to, you know, okay. come out with us. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Just let us know. We'll be there. I'm excited. Help us find something. Thank you, guys. Thank Have you. Have a good day, man. Bye bye. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Kate Russell, JV Johnson, and Brett Griffith. Our co-host, Maria Cabre, our producer, Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thanks for starting your weekend with us. You can catch us each Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Happy Halloween, and remember, people, the thirst is real. <laughs>